the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, the last few days of April, we're almost through April and into May. Unbelievable. May will start on, uh, was it, Friday, I think. May 1st, Friday? Yes, May 1st. That's amazing to me that we've gone through the month of, of April because it, it, it seems like it went by fast, but it felt like it crawled. I mean, all the social distancing stuff and stay home, don't go out. You know, you're going to die. That kind of stuff is uh, kind of drove me nuts. But uh, it is what it is. We've gotten through it, hopefully. Uh, the governor on Wednesday uh, said that it looked like uh, today he's going to start looking at things. And if things look a, uh, a little bit better than they did on Wednesday, uh, looks like he's going to reopen restaurants. And then he's got a kind of a timetable to open things up. And then one of the days uh, is that Sunday, I think he's looking at letting churches meet again. But, you know, got to wait, see what they have to say. I don't want to get the cart before the horse as far as that. Today, mostly cloudy, a high of 74. They've changed the forecast since I went to bed last night. Today was to be uh, mostly sunny and a high of 85. Well, we're going to be 10 degrees lower than what the forecast was yesterday and have cloudy skies instead of sunny skies. Uh, tomorrow, uh, possibility of some uh, some severe thunderstorms. We're right on the edge of all of that. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. High of 72. Wednesday, partly sunny, nice 73. Thursday, mostly cloudy, 74. And then Friday, we're looking with a, a real nice day, sun. And 81 degrees. Yeah, I'm happy to see those 80s start getting back in here because heat, sun, humidity. Keep repeating that that mantra to yourself. Heat, sun, humidity. Or maybe you want to say sun, heat, humidity that way. Uh, Deadly to a coronavirus. So uh, as uh, this goes on, we start heating up. We start getting more sunshine, more humidity. Uh, it'll be one summer that I'll be happy to see as much humidity as Mother Nature wants to us, bring to us because I think that's uh, going to be good good stuff. Brits, Brooks said to the, over the weekend that she believed uh, that uh, by the end of May, uh, the numbers of hospitalizations dealing with the coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, would be down hugely significantly she believes will 
uh, break out of this thing for sure uh, by then. And, of course, when you say end of May, what are you saying? Well, across the United States, you're saying moderating temperatures, some warm temperatures. I saw today in Phoenix and in uh, Las Vegas, they're going to be well over 100 uh, degrees. Uh, of course, if you're out in Vegas or Phoenix, that's dry heat, so it really does feel that way. I always laugh at that statement. But anyway, uh, it's going to be hot out there. Uh, hopefully that heat will start making its way here uh, to Arkansas. That's going to be a, a positive thing for us. Senator Tom Cotton was on Maria Bartoloma this morning, and I saw him live. And, yes, I get up really early and start watching early news shows uh, to see what's going on. And this is an interview I want to play for you. It's nine minutes long. Uh, it's uh, the senator talking about the Chinese, talking about how we're going to have to deal with them in the future. Very interesting, some of the things that he said. And we'll talk about it the rest of the half hour after it's over with. But right now, here's Senator Tom Cotton. Arkansas first sounded the alarm about China right here on this program uh, months ago. He joins me right now live. And, Senator, it is great to see you this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning, Maria. So you knew very early on and you questioned very early on the origins of this disease. And you knew that it likely came from that lab, that level four super lab in Wuhan. I want to ask you about what China knew, because you and I spoke over the weekend this weekend. And I asked you, do you think it's deliberate? You said you don't have any evidence right now now, but it should be investigated. But we do know what China did once they knew how severe this coronavirus would be. Tell us what you think China did. So, Maria, I want to distinguish between the origins of the virus and China's reactions to the virus. Uh, So right now, as you say, the most plausible explanation supported by literally all of the circumstantial evidence is that the virus originated in one of those two laboratories in Wuhan. All the way back in January, it was pretty well documented by Chinese scientists that it did not originate in the food market. But wherever it originated, Maria, we know that the Chinese Communist Party was both criminally negligent and incompetent at first, and then deliberately, deliberately malevolent in the way they responded to this virus for their own people and the world. As early as the second week of December, it was clear that this virus was spreading from person to person. By late December, it was spreading to doctors in Wuhan hospitals. Some doctors were trying to blow the whistle on these facts, and the secret police arrived at their doorsteps in the middle of the night. So only after China fessed up to the WHO on December 31st did the world know what was happening, yet still they continued to deny that it was spreading from person to person into mid-January. That allowed millions of people to leave Wuhan. And then finally, China continued to pressure the WHO and other countries not to stop international travel from China. That meant that hundreds of thousands of persons left China after this virus was spread far outside of Wuhan, which allowed the virus to escape China's borders and get to the United States and get to Europe and get to essentially every country in the world. I believe that was a deliberate and conscious choice by the Chinese communist leadership because they did not want to see their relative power and standing in the world 
world decline because this virus was contained within China. So a deliberate move because they expected this virus to cause economic contraction in China. Tell me what they expected in China and what they didn't want to see from the they, they didn't want to happen with the rest of the world being fine. So, Maria, again, it was obvious by mid-December to Chinese authorities that this virus was highly contagious and very deadly. They also knew that as this virus began to spread outside Wuhan, it would wreak economic havoc throughout China. And in fact, China had the first contraction in the first quarter of this year since the Cultural Revolution ended in the 1970s. I believe the Chinese communist leaders, when they were aware of those facts by mid-January, made the conscious decision not to explain to the world that it was transmissible between humans, not to shut down travel, not to ask for American or other kind of international scientific help, but to allow this virus to escape their borders. Because if they were going to suffer and economic contraction, they were not going to allow the world to continue to prosper and China be the only country whose economy was declining. They might see an absolute decline in their economy, but they refused to see a relative decline, especially relative to the United States. In other words, they didn't want to see the Chinese economy contract 20 percent with the rest of the world contracting 2 percent. That's exactly right. I mean, it, it was inevitable that we would have economic impacts all around the world because so much of the world has outsourced manufacturing productive capacity to China. So it was inevitable if China's economy was declining that it would have effects all around the world. But what, what was not inevitable was that we would lose 26 million jobs in America in a month. I mean, if China had been upfront about this virus from the very beginning, some studies suggest that they could have reduced the number of cases in China itself by 65 to even 90 percent. Imagine what that would have done for the spread of the virus, not only in China, but more importantly for us, all around the world. But once they knew that it was spreading all around China, they were not going to take the responsible action of bringing in international scientists and shutting down international air travel. Rather, they were going to let the virus escape their borders so the rest of the world would suffer along with China. So one of the issues that we've spoken about in the past is this intellectual property theft that has been going on for decades. China, the Chinese Communist Party continues to steal intellectual uh, property you believe that they are stealing intellectual property right now as we speak. Let's talk a bit about that, because the whole world is, is looking for a vaccine. And I wonder, is China trying now to come out of this, trying to save face, look better than the rest of the world while coming up with the vaccine before the United States? What's happening right now with regards to that kind of science? Well, Maria, the Chinese Communist Party has been stealing America's intellectual property for decades, and they're not going to magically stop in the middle of a pandemic. You know, in almost every state in the union, there are active cases against Chinese nationals. In Arkansas, for instance, they're accused of having stolen proprietary genomes of our farmers in East Arkansas. But in the middle of a pandemic, what's the most valuable intellectual property in the world? It's the research that our great laboratories and life science companies are doing on prophylactic drugs, uh, therapeutic drugs, and ultimately a vaccine. So I have little doubt that the Chinese intelligence services are actively trying to steal America's intellectual property as it relates to the virus that they unleashed on the world. Because, of course, they want to be the country that claims credit for finding those drugs or finding a vaccine and then use it as leverage against the rest of the world. So I want to ask you about your three uh, pieces of legislation that you've already put out to, to, to keep China accountable 
responsible. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But just what you just said, that is why you believe we should not be giving visas to Chinese students who want to study advanced sciences. They want to get into the Gilead sciences and the Googles of the world to steal that research. Is that right? Yeah, Maria, it's a scandal to me that we have trained so many of the Chinese Communist Party's brightest minds to go back to China to compete for our jobs, to take our business, and ultimately to steal our property and design weapons and other devices that can be used against the American people. So I think we need to take a very hard look at the visas that we give to Chinese nationals to come to the United States to study, especially at the postgraduate level in advanced scientific and technological fields. You know, if Chinese students okay. want to come here and study Shakespeare and the Federalist Papers, that's what they need to learn from America. They don't need to learn quantum computing and artificial intelligence from America. Well, they're certainly making sure that anybody in China is learning the culture of China. You make a good point. Let's, let's make sure people understand the culture of America. So you've introduced three pieces of legislation, and you think bringing pharmaceutical manufacturing back to America is critical. You also think military spending and the measures there are going to actually keep them accountable as well. Real quick, tell me about those pieces of legislation. So I think most Americans are shocked to learn that so many of our basic drugs are made in China. We need to stop that. We need to bring it back to the United States and get it out of China. So we would give incentives to companies to build new plants here, create more jobs here, so we're not dependent on China in a pandemic or even in any uh, kind of health concerns. Uh, second, uh, China is continuing, even now, to take aggressive action throughout the region to break its commitments. It's cracking down on Hong Kong and violations of its commitments to Great Britain. When Great Britain returned Hong Kong, it's taking aggressive action in the South China Sea. We need to invest more in our defense industrial base to offset some of the losses we're going to see because of this virus. We need more ships. We need more submarines. We need more bombers. We need more fighters. The exact kind of systems that will deter China from aggressive action against the United States and our interest in the Western Pacific and ultimately all around the globe. And, and by the way, right now they're also capitalizing on the problems we're having in this country on meat. Uh, a couple of meat, meat processing plants have been taken offline. They're buying all the meat at, at discounted prices. That's going to be a problem for the U.S. come next couple of weeks. We're going to see a skyrocketing price of meat, right? Yeah, we have a lot of our biggest processing plants that are going offline. Unfortunately, that may hit supplies and grocery stores in the weeks ahead. At the meantime, China is buying a lot of cut-rate uh, protein from the United States. Uh, just another example of the way they're trying to take advantage of this crisis. They're not resting on their laurels. Right. They're not breathing a sigh of, sigh of relief. They're trying to advance their interests and ambitions all around the world. All right. We will leave it there. Senator, do you think they're going to keep their promise to buy the $250 billion of stuff that they promised President Trump in that phase one trade deal? Let me just say, Maria, I'm skeptical of any uh, promises made by any communist, and the Chinese communists don't have a very good record of keeping their promises. And, and they may not even have the resources to buy it to begin with. Because remember, even though the rest of the world is taking a big economic hit, China is taking it as well. So I would uh, fall mm. back here to Ronald Reagan's maxim of trust but verify. All that, and they lied again on the phase, the phase one trade deal. Senator, thank you for your great work. We appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Maria. All right. That was the uh, senator this morning. Very interesting interview with uh, Maria. We'll come back. We'll talk about it as we continue the Dave Ellswick show as we move into the final few days of April here on 101.1 FM. The answer, it's 620 in the morning. All right, so let's hit the main points uh, that Senator Cotton addressed uh, in that interview uh, with Maria Bartoloma. Uh, you, you had him talking about it's very obvious 
that uh, China knew that the coronavirus uh, was out of control in their country, but they didn't tell anybody for several weeks. And because of that, a lot of people who were infected traveled to other areas of the world and infected the world. And uh, the, the senator said that uh, his thoughts about that is uh, that the Chinese government, the, the Chinese Communist Party, decided that if they were going to take a big hit on their economy, they couldn't allow the rest of the world not to, so that they fell behind. So they literally made a decision to let that virus get out uh, beyond their borders quickly so that uh, that would happen. And as the senator pointed out, it's not to say that the, the virus wouldn't have gotten to other parts of the world, but it would not have been anywhere near the severity it has been for the rest of the world at this time. So uh, that was uh, really something to, to pay attention to. Uh, no, no word yet from the senator. No word from others who have talked about China and what they did uh, and what that led to and how the rest of the world. It's not just the United States, folks. This is the rest of the world is going to um, punish uh, the Chinese government. Uh, he talked about no more visas uh, to uh, Chinese students coming into the United States, especially on the postgraduate level, who want to study things like quantum f physics, artificial intelligence, and things of that nature. As he said, no mind of kids coming to the United States to uh, study Shakespeare or the Federalist Papers, uh, but no postgraduate students. So look for that to uh, be pursued uh, in, in the Congress. I, I don't know about you, but if you know that you have a country that's stealing proprietary information and has been doing it for probably 30 years, uh, and you just keep allowing them to come in, and steal that infor uh, more information and uh, some of our best material we have, as the senator talked about, uh, stealing from the pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, information about uh, a vaccine and things of that nature. This, some people might think this is strong, but if I think at that point, that's when the FBI needs to do their work and find out why elected officials would feel that way. What is it that's there that is giving them pause? Because it sure doesn't seem like there should be any pause about a lot of this to me. Uh, the uh, senator said he's got uh, three pieces of legislation that he's put out uh, for consideration, drugs to be produced here in the United States and making sure that uh, uh, we don't get caught literally with our pants down again without having, you know, the personal protection gear and things that we need because we're buying it all from, you know, the Chinese Reds. Uh, two, uh, watch what China is investing at and control that. And then finally, number three, spend some more money 
on uh, defense spending, especially out there in the China Sea and things of that nature, so that China cannot flex its muscles uh, out there in the, the South China Sea and towards Taiwan, things of that nature, Taiwan being one of our uh, allies, building some more ships and things of that nature that he believes that the country needs. thought it was a very interesting and uh, uh, interview and some of the things that the senator had to say and let's be honest uh, he has been the senator he has been the person who has been on this since uh, january and i don't know where he gets all of his information but what information he's getting has been correct thus far so we need to uh, you know keep what the senator is saying in mind all right, we got a break coming up, uh, looking at the weather for today. Mostly cloudy, 74 for today. Tomorrow, possible uh, thunderstorms around. Some of them could be severe. High of 72 in Wednesday, partly sunny, nice, and a 73 for a high. Right now, Little Rock 51, Camp at 51, Conway is 56. They're the hot spot, and we've got your news for you now. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show, and... Uh, Let's look uh, real quickly at what's happening in finances and uh, what the week might bring us. There's two scenarios I think could happen. One, uh, we could have just an overriding big bounce for the stock market. I mean, uh, we were closing in on futures this morning at about 20, uh, I think, was it 24,000? A good possibility if... These states that are starting to open, if they start opening and good things follow, so to speak, (coughs) then I expect that the market will bounce again probably three times this week. And we we could uh, approach 25 and a half, maybe even 26 uh, before the uh, the week is over, because in the past week, a handful of uh, basically southern states, and North Dakota has opened as well, uh, announced that some businesses and public spaces were going to reopen. Today, the governor here of Arkansas, Governor Hutchinson, is supposed to be making some uh, notifications about restaurants and things of that nature. We'll see exactly what happens. We've got to wait till he makes the announcements. I'm expecting that would be probably in one of his uh, uh pressers that he has uh, whether that's at 11:30 or 1:30 I don't know but they're reopening now with restrictions you know social distancing and all that that's not a bad idea look I talked to Matt Smith last week uh, about uh, the movies uh, theaters and you know we didn't get into this uh, most of the specificity about uh, the seats but if you had to do social distancing You know, you pick your seats now that you want in the theater. And uh, I think that uh, they could, you know, not have completely full theaters and have a couple of seats uh, available between, you know, those people that were coming in to catch a movie and have a little popcorn and something to drink, maybe a beer, and, uh, you know, watch a movie. I mean, those are, those are things that can be done. Uh, restaurants can move some of their tables further apart. 
uh, and uh, restaurants could start reopening. I mean, for sure, uh, I would think they could open up uh, their patios because one of the things that they have found out about the virus is it doesn't uh, do that well outside. So, um, you know, the patios open and things of that nature. It lets these restaurants and uh, businesses like that, you know, be able to have some business. And they they need business. Uh, so you got this multi-phase process going on of easing the social distancing measures uh, as we go along. That's been in place over the past several weeks. Uh, now, the decision has been met with criticism from some business owners. Okay, look, shut up. If you're a business owner, just don't reopen. The government is not telling you you have to open your business. So if you don't want to open it, don't open it. But don't be, you know, poo-pooing everybody else because they want to go ahead and open up. That's a decision they have to make. And then the people get to make a decision about whether they want to go to those businesses that open. And then on the top of that, some politicians are feeling that, uh, you know, they shouldn't do that because our domestic death toll in the U.S. topped 50,000. Okay. And how many people are in the United States? I mean, you've got to keep this stuff, you know, uh, you've got to understand. You've got to be reasonable about this. 50,000 deaths among 350 million people. That's not, you know, that's not huge. We, we have that many traffic deaths a year. Do we tell people to stay home to cut down on traffic deaths? Recent data has suggested the outbreak was uh, leveling off, even in the state's hardest hit by the pandemic. Even uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said in a press briefing that the latest daily death toll in the state had dropped to uh, 367, or the lowest in nearly a month, and then told listeners uh, to his presser that as long as uh, they continue to act uh, prudent, uh, going, I hadn't used, heard them, a politician use that word since George Bush Sr. Uh, to act prudently going forward, the worst should be over. And he suggested a phased reopening could begin with construction and manufacturing industries as soon as after May 15 in areas of the state with less concentrated numbers of cases. The remarks were a testament to the distance the state the epicenter of the domestic outbreak had come in flattening the curve for new cases, hospitalizations, and deaths with weeks of stay-in-place measures in effect. New York's known daily death toll had hit a peak of 799 on April 9th, just under three weeks ago. And then there's other experts. You get so much conflicting information about this. Folks, no matter what you do, there is a possibility that your decision will be wrong. Could be wrong to reopen. Could be wrong to reopen because uh, people come back out 
and uh, don't and start acting like fools and and hanging out in big crowds or try to and the infection rate goes up a little bit more or maybe a few more deaths occur or you might not open and then your business ends up crashing i mean there's there's really uh, no no good decision here Many other experts remain deeply concerned about the specter of a resurgence in cases as social distancing measures ease. Now, Ritz White House a, a Coronavirus Task Force coordinator said on NBC News Sunday that while the latest drops in new coronavirus cases uh, counts gave her uh, great hope for reopening, she believed the U.S. would ultimately need a breakthrough in coronavirus testing to get a better sense of the extent of the outbreak and allow for more informed decisions about how and when to reopen. This week, market participants are going to be watching that, going to be really anxious about it. In fact, you're going to see, you know, the stock market maybe go up and down like a roller coaster, looking for signs of the path forward for the U.S. economy. Uh, one last thing for you to consider, and that is... Uh, Mnuchin said over the weekend he'd like to see uh, the uh, economy be open again uh, no later mid-May, you know, early June. Now, when he says that, he's talking about full bore open, okay, and uh, says that if that happens, the the economy should recover, he believes, uh, by September. So that... uh, is uh, a look at finances. There's some guesswork involved in that. I'm, I tend to be a, an optimist, not a pessimist. A lot of people being pessimists because they're fearful. And that's what fear does. Fear freezes you from doing anything. You cannot live. I've been, I, had to, I had to have this discussion just the other day with my son. He's going to be 36 years old. He's scared, you know, poopless to be honest with you that he might get this stuff and i looked at him and i said chances of you getting this is right now somewhere around the same as if you were going to get the flu and then of course he looked at me and said well dad i got the flu this year and i said that's not what i was saying all right every day you live your life you live legitimate chances it'd be your last day on on terra firma you're not guaranteed, but the seconds you're breathing, not an hour uh, after, not a day before, or, you know, after, you know, you're talking about this. All right, about a quarter till seven. Let's get a break in and come back. If you missed it, Cinder Cotton on Maria Barceloma. All right, when I play a interview twice for you in one hour, it's because I think it's important for you to have heard it. Uh, not hear about it, but to hurt it, uh, to listen to it. And let's do that right now. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton was on Maria Bartoloma earlier this morning. Here's what he had to say. Arkansas first sounded the alarm about China right here on this program uh, months ago. He joins me right now live. And, Senator, it is great to see you this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning, Maria. So you knew very early on and you questioned very early on the origins of this disease. And you knew that it likely came from that lab, that level four super lab in Wuhan. I want to ask you about what China knew, because you and I spoke over the weekend, this weekend. And I asked you, do you think it's deliberate? You said you don't have any evidence right now. 
right now, but it should be investigated. But we do know what China did once they knew how severe this coronavirus would be. Tell us what you think China did. So, Maria, I want to distinguish between the origins of the virus and China's reactions to the virus. Uh, so right now, as you say, the most plausible explanation supported by literally all of the circumstantial evidence is that the virus originated in one of those two laboratories in Wuhan. All the way back in January, it was pretty well documented by Chinese scientists that it did not originate in the food market. But wherever it originated, Maria, we know that the Chinese Communist Party was both criminally negligent and incompetent at first, and then deliberately, deliberately malevolent in the way they responded to this virus for their own people and the world. As early as the second week of December, it was clear that this virus was spreading from person to person. By late December, it was spreading to doctors in Wuhan hospitals. Certain, some doctors were trying to blow the whistle on these facts, and the secret police arrived at their doorsteps in the middle of the night. So only after China fessed up to the WHO on December 31st did the world know what was happening, yet still they continued to deny that it was spreading from person to person into mid-January. That allowed millions of people to leave Wuhan. And then finally, China continued to pressure the WHO and other countries not to stop international travel from China. That meant that hundreds of thousands of persons left China after this virus was spread far outside of Wuhan, which allowed the virus to escape China's borders and get to the United States and get to Europe and get to essentially every country in the world. I believe that was a deliberate and conscious choice by the Chinese communist leadership because they did not want to see their relative power and standing in the world decline because this virus was contained within China. So a deliberate move because they expected this virus to cause economic contraction in China. Tell me what they expected in China and what they didn't want to see from the they, they didn't want to happen with the rest of the world being fine. So, Maria, again, it was obvious by mid-December to Chinese authorities that this virus was highly contagious and very deadly. They also knew that as this virus began to spread outside Wuhan, it would wreak economic havoc throughout China. And in fact, China had the first contraction in the first quarter of this year since the Cultural Revolution ended in the 1970s. I believe the Chinese communist leaders, when they were aware of those facts by mid-January, made the conscious decision not to explain to the world that it was transmissible between humans, not to shut down travel, not to ask for American or other kind of international scientific help, but to allow this virus to escape their borders. Because if they were going to suffer and economic contraction, they were not going to allow the world to continue to prosper and China be the only country whose economy was declining. They might see an absolute decline in their economy, but they refused to see a relative decline, especially relative to the United States. In other words, they didn't want to see the Chinese economy contract 20 percent with the rest of the world contracting 2 percent. That's exactly right. I mean, it, it was inevitable that we would have economic impacts all around the world because so much of the world has outsourced manufacturing productive capacity to China. So it was inevitable if China's economy was declining that it would have effects all around the world. But what, what was not inevitable was that we would lose 26 million jobs in America in a month. I mean, if China had been upfront about this virus from the very beginning, some studies suggest that they could have reduced the number of cases in China itself by 65 to even 90 percent. Imagine what that would have done for the spread of the virus, not only in China, but 
but more importantly for us, all around the world. But once they knew that it was spreading all around China, they were not going to take the responsible action of bringing in international scientists and shutting down international air travel. Rather, they were going to let the virus escape their borders so the rest of the world would suffer along with China. So one of the issues that we've spoken about in the past is this intellectual property theft that has been going on for decades. China, the Chinese Communist Party continues to steal intellectual uh, property. You believe that they are stealing intellectual property right now as we speak. Let's talk a bit about that because the whole world is, is looking for a vaccine. And I wonder, is China trying now to come out of this, trying to save face, look better than the rest of the world while coming up with a vaccine before the United States? What's happening right now with regards to that kind of science? Well, Maria, the Chinese Communist Party has been stealing America's intellectual property for decades, and they're not going to magically stop in the middle of a pandemic. You know, in almost every state in the union, there are active cases against Chinese nationals. In Arkansas, for instance, they're accused of having stolen proprietary genomes of our farmers in East Arkansas. But in the middle of a pandemic, what's the most valuable intellectual property in the world? It's the research that our great laboratories and life science companies are doing on prophylactic drugs, uh, therapeutic drugs, and ultimately a vaccine. So I have little doubt that the Chinese intelligence services are actively trying to steal America's intellectual property as it relates to the virus that they unleashed on the world. Because of course, they want to be the country that claims credit for finding those drugs or finding a vaccine vaccine and then use it as leverage against the rest of the world. So I want to ask you about your three uh, pieces of legislation that you've already put out to, to, to keep China accountable. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But just what you just said, that is why you believe we should not be giving visas to Chinese students who want to study advanced sciences. They want to get into the Gilead sciences and the Googles of the world to steal that research. Is that right? Yeah, Maria, it's a scandal to me that we have trained so many of the Chinese Communist Party's brightest minds to go back to China to compete for our jobs, to take our business, and ultimately to steal our property and design weapons and other devices that can be used against the American people. So I think we need to take a very hard look at the visas that we give to Chinese nationals to come to the United States to study, especially at the postgraduate level in advanced scientific and technological fields. You know, if Chinese students want to come here and study Shakespeare and the Federalist Papers, that's what they need to learn from America. They don't need to learn quantum computing and artificial intelligence from America. Well, they're certainly making sure that anybody in China is learning the culture of China. You make a good point. Let's, let's make sure people understand the culture of America. So you've introduced three pieces of legislation, and you think bringing pharmaceutical manufacturing back to America is critical. You also think military spending and the measures there are going to actually keep them accountable as well. Real quick, tell me about those pieces of legislation. So I think most Americans are shocked to learn that so many of our basic drugs are made in China. We need to stop that. We need to bring it back to the United States and get it out of China. So we would give incentives to companies to build new plants here, create more jobs here. So we're not dependent on China in a pandemic or even in any uh, kind of health concerns. Uh, Second, uh, China is continuing, even now, to take aggressive action throughout the region to break its commitments. It's cracking down on Hong Kong and violations of its commitments to Great Britain when Great 
Britain returned Hong Kong. It's taking aggressive action in the South China Sea. We need to invest more in our defense industrial base to offset some of the losses we're going to see because of this virus. We need more ships. We need more submarines. We need more bombers. We need more fighters. The exact kind of systems that will deter China from aggressive action against the United States and our interest in the Western Pacific and ultimately all around the globe. And, and by the way, right now they're also capitalizing on the problems we're having in this country on meat. Uh, a couple of meat meat processing plants have been taken offline. They're buying all the meat at, at discounted prices. That's going to be a problem for the U.S. come next couple of weeks. We're going to see a skyrocketing price of meat, right? Yeah, we have a lot of our biggest processing plants that are going offline. Unfortunately, that may hit supplies and grocery stores in the weeks ahead. At the meantime, China is buying a lot of cut rate uh, protein from the United States. Uh, just another example of the way they're trying to take advantage of this crisis. They're not resting on their laurels. Right. They're not breathing a sigh of, re- sigh of relief. They're trying to advance their interests and ambitions all around the world. All right. We will leave it there. Senator, do you think they're going to keep their promise to buy the $250 billion of stuff that they promised President Trump in that phase one trade deal? Let me just say, Maria, I'm skeptical of any uh, promises made by any communist. And the Chinese communists don't have a very good record of keeping their promises. And, and they may not even have the resources to buy it to begin with. Because remember, even though the rest of the world is taking a big economic hit, China is taking it as well. So I would uh, fall mm. back here to Ronald Reagan's maxim of trust but verify. All that. And they lied again on the phase, the phase one trade deal. Senator, thank you for your great work. We appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Maria. All right. That was our Senator Tom Cotton this morning on Maria Bartoloma. A lot of interesting things in that uh, interview. I don't have time to go over them again. Uh, j- just that I'm happy to hear somebody say, hey, look, you've got to start taking the, the Chinese Communist government really, really seriously. And uh, I, I'm of the firm belief that uh, these people who say nothing to worry about, nothing to forget about the Chinese, they, they should, there should be a deep dive into their past and find out if the CCP has been donating money to those particular politicians. I got to question some people's patriotism and love of country. Uh, that just keep giving, uh, you know, free reign to the communist Chinese. That whole no visa idea for higher education, great idea from the senator, especially and as, as well as, you know, producing the drugs here in the United States instead of there, investing in more defense spending for around the South China Seas. We've been talking about on that on my show for quite some time. Robert Steinbach, <clears throat> excuse me, Robert Steinbach coming back uh, for another couple hours with me today. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Talk about the sexual allegations against Biden, uh, female black VP, uh, you know, uh, is Un alive or dead? And General Flynn back in the news. That's all on its way here on the Dave Ellswick Show.
All right, we continue the Dave Ellswick Show on a uh, Monday. And the last uh, week that we'll uh, celebrate any days in April. We'll be done with April in a couple of days. Today, um, mostly cloudy, 74 for a high. Tomorrow, we're going to get some rain. Could get a possible severe thunderstorm mixed in. High of 72. Wednesday, partly sunny, nice, and 73 by the weekend. We're going to be up into the 80s, and that's a good thing. The hotter it gets and the more humid it is, the faster the coronavirus is going to disappear. Uh, the governor is supposed to announce today about reopening uh, restaurants and things in uh, the state. Uh, we'll f- learn about that later on today after the show is off, but we'll talk about it for sure tomorrow uh, so that uh, you're well aware of all of that. But to start off today, Robert Steinbach always joins me on Monday for the last two hours of the show. Today is no exception. Robert is a law professor over at uh, Bowen School of Law at UALR, and of course, his his opinions are his and his alone. Do not represent those of the school of law or uh, the university. Uh, but, um, Robert, I'd like to start off with a story that seemed to be losing momentum, but all of a sudden now has really regained its momentum. And we're starting to hear some very unique things uh, from um, Democrats. And that is the story about Joe Biden and his propensity to hug, uh, kiss, and, uh, you know, basically manhandle women whenever they're around him. Uh, everybody admits that he did it. Who was it? New York Times called it his political tactile approach. Uh, yeah, to be, okay. you like that okay. uh, being yeah, a yeah. being a politician. Uh, there's one thing about shaking, you know, pressing the flesh, which means shaking hands and uh, pinching a woman's derriere. And there's one thing about kissing a baby, and another thing about kissing, a, you know, a, a follower. And uh, this this candidate has done that in the past, and nobody is has said anything all that much about it. He gets a free pass on it, just like Pelosi gets a free pass for lying, because everybody expects it of them. So with that said, uh, Reed, the accuser, uh, broke this story back in, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, late last month on a podcast, but it was not reported until the middle of April, about three weeks later, where when you think about when the Washington Post uh, wrote the story about Kavanaugh, everybody and their mother was making uh, statements about how Kavanaugh should, re, you know, remove himself from the list to be Supreme Court justice and all of that. Uh, folks, this is a guy who wants to be the, uh, you know, the president of the United States. Uh, and uh, nobody's calling him for, well, some have, very few have called for him to step down. In fact, they had an interview with several of the women running for uh, the vice presidency uh, that were in, run, in, in the short list for Biden, and none of them would even hazard a statement about uh, this uh, particular problem. The hypocrisy of the left is showing terribly, Robert. Indeed. Look, that... That's the biggest problem here, which is 
when it came to Kavanaugh, uh, what was it? Uh, believe the woman, right? And of course, I'm happy to believe everyone to a point. And if they can uh, marshal enough evidence to meet my personal burden of proof. But I don't believe a person just because a person says something. And that was the problem in Kavanaugh. And everybody on the left, everybody, nearly everybody, I think it's fair to say, jumped on Kavanaugh and said he, he can't be um, the uh, justice. Indeed, if you recall, there were a bunch of folks on the left when confronted with the fact that there was no process, there was no evaluation of the evidence, there was just this claim that we should believe the women. They said, well, look, it's not a criminal trial. Look, it's a job application. We can evaluate it any way we want. Yeah. decide that that's actually not entirely true. So they're wrong on the law as well. But that nonetheless uh, seem, seems to have been their standard. Of course, what wasn't said, Dave, and what we apparently uh, uh, mistook was the fact that implicit in their statement is that's the standard for Republicans, not for Democrats, Dave. You see, the standard for Democrats is, well, that's a lie. Hmm. Well, we're not going to address that. Well, there's nothing to be seen here, right? It's even the other extreme. It's not, well, he's certainly innocent until proven guilty, but we'll be happy to hear out this person and evaluate the evidence. No, it's not even that. What is it? It's uh, what, who, where? I didn't hear anything. And then of course you can repeat the accusation to them and they will say exactly the same thing. What, who, where? So, <laughs> excuse me, the, the hypocrisy is so palpable. And that's the most frustrating part. If we could, as a society, or at least the sub-part of society that is involved in politics, agree to a standard on anything, and then apply that standard evenly to anything, we would be far better off. That is supposed to be what operates in our legal system. It typically does. I think there are exceptions to that, unfortunately. But typically, and the ideal, of course, of the legal system is that it's one standard for all. There aren't different standards. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats, have, in fact, complain more than the Republicans do, historically at least, when they see aberrations from that ideal. But not when it comes to politics, Dave. When it comes to politics, there's one standard for the Democrats, given by the Democrats, and one standard for the Republicans, a different one, no less, given by the Democrats. Well, the story on Kavanaugh broke on September 16th of uh, 2018. Now, here's what happened when that happened. On CNN, they reported the news immediately with an article. Then they had another article that likened the news to the Anita Hill testimony. And then there was another describing the White House as mounting an intense effort to squash the accusation. And then another describing a senator's assessment of how Kavanaugh's nomination would go for, uh, forward, and then a final one. All right, so we're talking about uh, five articles in a matter of an hour, and another describing how Democrats would push for a delay in Kavanaugh's confirmation vote. Senator Feinstein out in California announced her opposition to Kavanaugh 
Remember, she was one of the main proponents. If you've got to believe the women, uh, her opposition to Kavanaugh, Supreme Court justice should not be an extension of the Republican Party. They must also have unquestionable character and integrity. And seriously, uh, serious questions remain about Judge Kavanaugh in this regard, as indicated in information I refer to the FBI. Because remember, she's the one who got Blasey Ford letter and then took it to the FBI. I tell you, the hypocrisy is crazy. Uh, When we come back from the break, let me play with Senator Schumer and hypocrisy shouldn't be no, you know, no surprise to you from Senator Schumer. But we're going to play what he had to say about Kavanaugh from the well of the Senate. In just a moment, as we continue, Robert Steinbach, my guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, don't forget about PI Roofing. They want to take the uh, weight off of your shoulders about worrying about your roof. I mean, we've had some pretty rough weather this uh, early springtime uh, with uh, severe thunderstorms, hail, a lot of big winds, uh, some uh, tornadic activity. And uh, that means your roof is taking a, a... pretty big beating and with that in mind uh, pi roofing wants you to know that with all the social distancing and everything they can do everything they need to do about your roof without you having to meet face to face with somebody you can keep your whole social distancing thing going no problem whatsoever but they just want to take off the uh, the worry you might have about your roof and take care of it for you and uh, PI Roofing is really good. They replaced my roof, did a fantastic job. I've been advertising with them since they basically got started. And uh, I have them come out about every other year and walk my roof and look at things. And I've had a couple of times where they've had to come out and repair some stuff. They're really, really good. And the people who own it, uh, Joel and Veronica Johnson, great character, great people that you can trust. So uh, here's my suggestion. Uh, if you want to make sure the roof is in great shape, call PI Roofing and talk to them at uh, 707-3551, 707-3551, or just visit them online. You can do all this online. You don't have to call anybody. Uh, just go to piroofing.com. They'll take care of you. They'll make sure everything's good. And if you need some work around the house, uh, they're a contractor as well. They can take care of that. They do windows. They can take care of those. They do, uh, you know, gutters. They can take care of those. They're they're a one-stop shop, I'm just telling you. That's PI Roofing. All right, let's get back talking with Robert Steinbach here uh, about this whole Biden thing. Look, there's, there's some people that, Well, I'll get into that in a moment about the people on the other side of this argument and the Democrats that are 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 starting to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Pelosi endorsed uh, Biden for president and didn't make any mention at all of the sexual assault claim, despite the new evidence that happened on Larry King, uh, I think, just a weekend ago. So you got all of that out there. Democrats are running around putting their head in the sand and uh, sexual assault. What sexual assault? And so uh, you, you go back in time a little bit. Let me take, take you back two years when they were looking at Kavanaugh. And I gave you a little bit of a timeline on the first day how much the media was jumping all over Kavanaugh. 
and now we're uh, almost uh, over a month in talking about Reed, and uh, CNN is just finding, you know, finally getting around to saying, Reed, uh, that name sounds familiar. Anyway, let me play Senator Schumer from the well of the Senate. Here's what he had to say. These allegations ought to be treated with the utmost gravity. The allegations are extremely credible. They were made by someone who voluntarily submitted to a lie detector test and had been discussed in the past, long before Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court with a family therapist. I believe her. Many, many, many Americans believe her. Many, many women in America who have been taken advantage of certainly believe her. For too long, women have made serious allegations of abuse and have been ignored or dragged through the mud. It would be a disgrace if this body and our fellow Republicans let that happen. Chairman Grassley must postpone the vote on Judge Kavanaugh's nomination until, at a very minimum, these serious and credible allegations are thoroughly investigated. The FBI conducted a background check on Judge Kavanaugh before these allegations were known. The FBI, when they did their background check, had no knowledge of what went on here. So it is now the FBI's responsibility to investigate these claims, update the analysis to Judge Kavanaugh's background, and report back to the Senate. The FBI is the right place for this investigation for two reasons. First, the FBI has the resources, the information, and the legal tools to conduct an investigation the right way. Far better than some staffer talking to Professor Ford on the phone. You cannot lie to the FBI. That's a crime. The FBI will get to the truth. They almost always do. Second, our Republican colleagues have run a transparently partisan confirmation process. And then they immediately insinuated that Dr. Ford is being untruthful. Republicans and their staff cannot impartially investigate these allegations. They've already said that they're not true. Republicans and their staff cannot do this in a, par- in a, in a respected way because they have run such a partisan investigation thus far. There's no bipartisanship here. That's enough. None. I can't. I can't listen to any more. I can't listen to any more. The hypocrisy there is unbelievable, especially when he talked about the FBI. Oh my God! You cannot lie to the FBI. You cannot lie. The FBI. Let's let's keep in mind uh, this whole thing that he's talking about the FBI. This is at the same time that they were ramrodding Flynn uh, in the White House, uh, uh, Robert. And news is out today that there's good uh, a good reason to believe that Flynn's going to be exonerated before the week is out. You know, Unbelievable. the Flynn story is is a tragedy. Uh, I got to say, the Flynn story is a story of the FBI quite literally breaking the rules in terms of speaking to somebody in the White House that was not only admitted to, but gloated by Comey. They go in, they set him up, then they leverage him by threatening to prosecute his son 
if he doesn't take a plea. By the way, I think that should be eliminated. If I were in charge of making policy uh, for the DOJ, and really, frankly, it's not relevant if I were in charge. I know like-minded people, good conservative people, who have been involved in uh, the Department of Justice has said it's inappropriate to leverage one family member against a, another family member in terms of getting a, a settlement, a plea bargain. Meaning you say to somebody, we believe you've done X, Y, and Z, and we won't prosecute you or we'll prosecute you for a smaller subset. Uh, if you, uh, excuse me, we won't, uh, we will uh, uh, agree to a plea for a smaller subset uh, in exchange for the plea and we'll drop any charges against your brother, your son, your wife, your daughter, your mother, yeah. your sister, whatever. No, <coughs> no, off the table. Off the, and people say, well, you know, that's, the, the system works because we negotiate. No, you don't negotiate one person with another person. Sorry, it's not the way it works. By the way, when I say it's not the way that it works, I mean it's not the way it should work morally, and we get to make those determinations up front. This is not a bazaar, right, in Turkey where I'm trading uh, uh, um, shekels, and I know that's not the right money, but nonetheless, shekels <laughs> for, for a, uh, a chicken in a box. Yeah. This is people's lives, and as a consequence, we need to set up better rules better rules than we have. By the way, those rules existing under Republican administrations and Democratic administrations. Those, that is a nonpartisan uh, problem. We need to have a system where you don't leverage someone who you're accusing with his family member. It's just not moral. Yeah, how about this whole thing about Flynn? They went over and said they just wanted to talk him up, basically. Uh, and they were saying that you know, they were out to find out how he had worked with the Russians, etc. That's not the reason he went to jail. He went to jail because they said that he lied to them. They didn't find any evidence of, uh, you know, culpability with the Russians. Yeah, that's the biggest hook that they have used in these types of investigations, which is, well, we didn't actually catch you on anything, but you lied to us in the process. And there's a law, uh, 18 U.S.C. 1001, which says you're not allowed to lie to a, uh, a federal agent during an investigation about a matter of substance, essentially. Those are the terms. And the difficulty is that law has been abused. I'm now concerned about the application. I have been for some time, by the way, the application of that law. Because when that becomes the only charge... In other words, you couldn't prove anything along the way, but the person, let's say the person did lie to you in the process, and that's not good, and it is a criminal act, but that becomes the only charge. It sort of becomes the horse, excuse me, the cart leading the horse. And the added problem is that those accusations of lies have been demonstrated in the past at times, only at times, but at times to be wholly subjective, meaning I don't think we should prosecute those claims unless the FBI has the interview recorded. There's no reason these days that the FBI cannot record interviews, but as a matter of practice, they do not. They All right. do not. Yep. Keep that thought. Keep that I'm thought. Gonna it. I'm it's, gonna time for, it's time for Rush. 
Find out what Rush Limbaugh has to say for today. I'm sure he'll have something interesting to say here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Continuing the Dave Ellswick Show, 25 minutes until 8 o'clock today. Mostly cloudy, 74. Tomorrow, possibly uh, some uh, thunderstorms around. Could be severe, all right? Just want to let you know, could be severe. We're right on the edge of that severe stuff. And so, uh, you know, be just be aware that 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 could happen, and uh, you know, be careful out there tomorrow. Uh, high tomorrow, seventy-two. High on Wednesday, seventy-three. Under mostly sunny skies. Going to be a really nice Wednesday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Just looking ahead, uh, we're going to be up into the mid eighties, and plenty of uh, vitamin D. That means plenty of sunshine. We're going to have that for you, and that, that looks like a good thing to me. Because here's my whole thing, Robert. The hotter it gets, the more humid it gets, the quicker we'll be done with this coronavirus. I'm ready to be done with it, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I am definitely ready to be uh, done with it. Uh, I'm tired of it, just to say, just to say the, the least. All right, so I uh, during the break, I was talking to Robert, and he was asking me about the uh, uh, barracks uh, chamber that I, I go in. Yeah, yeah. hyperbarracks. You sent me a picture. And, Very interesting. Uh, did you get it? I did get it. Okay, It looks good. like I'm... something from outer space. It looks like, you know, you're traveling to Mars, and they put you to sleep for Yeah, they're putting years. me to sleep it's like from Alien or something, except that the top right. doesn't slowly come down. They put you on the, on the bed, and they slide you in. The first time they do it, it's got really a weird feeling to it, I'll tell you. Now it's just no big deal at, uh, you know, no big deal. It's just mm-hmm. the way you, you, it's just something I do now. I still have, I'm, I'm thinking now, I've been doing it for a while, uh, several, I got several days in. I got about another two weeks of this to go. So every day I, I get over there at about noon I'm sliding in there and I they slide me out at about two o'clock and uh, mm-hmm. doing my thing now the thing I have been able to avoid is at first we'd get done doing that and Linda wanted to go buy you know, like Popeyes or something and grab something to eat uh, now I deny that and wait till I get home and I might have uh, just slices of cucumber or something like that instead of uh, a big old you know, spicy sand, you know, chicken sandwich or something that has mm-hmm. got a gazillion calories in it. Calories, yeah. 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 All right, so uh, let me real quickly, I want to finish up this Flynn thing since we got into it. Evidently, uh, the interviews that the FBI did, uh, and and as you said, they're not, uh, they didn't, they didn't uh, record them, they, uh, they, transposed them. In other words, I don't know if they recorded it, but they wrote them down. So they got them on paper, but they never, this is amazing to me, they never gave them to Flynn's defense attorneys, and that's exculpatory evidence. Now, explain to my listeners, that's a big word for just saying that it's evidence that the defense should have gotten. Yeah, it just means evidence. Exculpatory means get you off uh, in your favor for your benefit. So there is a legal obligation for prosecutors to give over records from their file that they've collected, in other words, and the evidence that they've collected, not only records, any evidence, 
that helped the defense. And it's, it's really kind of a problematic system in implementing that because the prosecutor decides what's good for the defense and then gives it to the defense and they keep everything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't you think something's going to go wrong there? There are some prosecutors that maintain what's known as an open file policy. The FBI had this on one big case a while back. I remember it was in the news. Oh, you know what it was? It was the guy from Alaska, the senator from Alaska who was prosecuted. And there was a whole bunch of hinky behavior in the end that turned out by the prosecutors. And they had an open, if, I, if that's the right case, if I recall correctly, they had an open file policy. And then they didn't follow the open file policy. Yeah, that was about the bridge to nowhere and all that. Yeah, Stevens, I think, was the name of the senator. Senator Stevens. In any event, it's a better policy, and that's one done by the agency, which is the obligation is you have to turn over everything that's good for the defense. The better way to deal with it, and frankly, the way it should be as a matter of policy generally, at the federal and state level, the same obligation exists at both levels, is to turn over all evidence. Why should not the prosecutor turn over all the evidence to the defense? Because the defense should be entitled to see everything that's out there. And so uh, when they don't do that, when, when the defense discovers some piece of evidence that was in the possession of the prosecution but not turned over, that's a violation. The case that set all that up is under the name Brady. And so sometimes you'll see on television, you'll say, well, that was a Brady violation. That's what's meant by it. That means the government failed to turn over some of that evidence that helps the defense to the defense. Because, folks, this isn't a game, right? This is not a game of soccer where, well, we've got the better players. No, you've got to turn over all the evidence, and the judge and jury has to determine who's right and wrong. And, and uh, the accusation by Flynn's attorney is that the government failed to turn over all of the exculpatory evidence. Now, this judge has been kind of back and forth when it comes to Flynn. And one of the problems with this notion of exculpatory evidence is the court can determine whether or not uh, turning it over would have had any impact. So they say, well, you know, that evidence really wasn't that important, so no harm, no foul. I don't like that rule. I don't like that rule because it, put, it provides for too much leeway, too much judgment. The fact is, and by judgment, I don't mean good judgment, too much subjectivity. And what I prefer, as I said a moment ago, is, look, turn it over. When in doubt, turn it over, that the burden should be on the government. Now, I don't know specifically in Flynn's case what the evidence that allegedly wasn't turned over uh, contained, or if there really even was such, that we're, we're going to have to wait and see. But yeah, if there I'm, was any such violation, that's a problem. I'm excited, man. I really am, yeah. because I can't believe that Maria Bartoloma and, uh, and several other people, because she was an attorney at one time, uh, would, right? ju- yeah, would, would jump into this. Uh, with both feet and and uh, evidently, you know, they got their sources like I got my sources and stuff. Sure. And uh, they've been told that this is coming. So, you know, you you typically at least I can say from my end of this, uh, don't start talking about this or that perhaps is going to happen unless you're pretty doggone sure it's going to happen. Because, you know, you don't want to be the boy who cried wolf. 
because it gets to the point nobody believes anything that you say. Agreed, but the only caveat is their sources are almost invariably not from the judge himself. So any, they may know that this type of evidence has been exposed. It's, it's going to be brought before the judge. It's pretty damning. These are all guesses, of course. But what we don't know is what the judge is going to do with it. So there's still yeah. some element of unknown in that analysis. Yeah, I just I got just uh, something that uh, concerns me. And because I'll tell you Indeed. what, if Flynn gets sprung, uh, it just goes to show what we've been saying all along, Robert, that we've got a real cancer still, I believe. I know this goes back a couple of years, but a lot of those people are still in their positions. They never they weren't fired. They haven't been charged. Nothing's really ever happened to them. Uh, I mean, Strzok, yeah, he got fired, and uh, what's her name, well, Paige? I, I guess she McCabe, quit. McCabe got uh, fired, uh, yeah. and McCabe, appropriately so, and got really uh, chastised, if I recall, by the IG. And then Comey got um, uh, chastised by the IG, and his defense was, you see, they said there was nothing criminal to pursue. Excuse me, what? <laughs> that's your defense, is that they decided not to charge you? And by the way, that's a judgment call that you can disagree with. Uh, so those higher-ups, really, this is always the risk in any big organization, public or private, but it's more dangerous in public because public has the force of government, meaning the force of someone with a gun, and then within that category, those with the guns, meaning the FBI. They are literally the people with the guns. And what the problem that I'm alluding to, and I'm now going to describe, is that when you have a big organization and insufficient checks, it inevitably gets a sense of um, imperialism. Oh, well, we're right, and we what we say must be right. You remember... I think it was McCabe's argument. Well, I leaked the information, but you see, I'm allowed to leak. Nobody else is allowed to leak <laughs> below me, but I'm allowed to leak. And Comey yeah. had a similarly r- ridiculous claim. You remember when he took he took um, government documents and then gave them over to his buddy at Columbia Law School? Yeah, the Columbia yeah Com- that's what Comey School. did. Right, and then he turns it over to the press, and he said, wait a second, why did you do this convoluted method? You do realize it makes you look shady at minimum, and indeed, arguably, a lot worse than that. He said, well, oh, I was going on a trip, and it would, just, it would have been too much of a ha- hassle for me to distribute the documents. Wait, what? <laughs> what? It doesn't even pass the smell test. Dave, and that's kind of shady behavior by corrupt higher-up officials that is always dangerous and the most dangerous in in a police organization. And, of course, quite literally, the FBI is a police organization, a federal police organization. And that's, you know, how different is that than the corruption that goes on in other countries when we've criticized their uh, police organizations, their secret police organizations, that kind of thing. The only difference, the only difference is so far, thank goodness, we don't have nearly le- the level of corruption that we've seen in some of those other countries. I agree. All right. A break. And when we come back, I want to go back to the Biden story because we talked yeah. about nobody's reporting on it from the left, basically. But there are a few on the left that have started raising their eyebrows about it, and we got to talk about it. All right, 14 minutes until 8 
My guest, Robert Steinbach, he'll be with us for the rest of this hour and the next. we got a lot to talk about. We haven't even got into Un and is he alive or is he dead. We haven't got into, uh, you know, is a, is a vice presidential pick for Biden going to be a female and black? A lot of black leaders think he needs to get a black uh, female in there so he can get the enthusiasm ga- uh, gap closed. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about yet. Don't forget that uh, Forbes has said that 96% of Americans, that's right, 96% are claiming their Social Security benefits at the wrong time. And if you do that, uh, it can cost you cost you an average of $111,000 over the time of your uh, retirement. And I don't think you nor I can afford to lose $111,000 in Social Security income. Learn how you could avoid that with a free Social Security analysis from David Lucas Financial here in uh, North Little Rock. If you save more than $250,000, you have not filed for Social Security Be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. That's uh, a free analysis done over the phone or through video conferencing, so all the social distancing taken care of. 501-222-3315. Number one more time, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. Coming back, I'm going to tell you there's some people in this uh, abuse, sexual abuse allegation could be a godsend for the Democrats. We'll tell you why when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. Got to get back, and I, I had mentioned earlier in the hour and we got we got uh, going on Flynn, which is another big story that's going on right now. But we were talking about sexual allegations against Vice President Biden and how the left has been just kind of saying, I don't see nothing there. You know, and they look up into the air while they're talking. Uh, bo- bottom line, the hypocrisy has been crazy. And we played that piece from uh, Schumer back in September of, la- of pardon me, 2018. And how and as you listen to it now, you think it he's talking about the vice president when he's talking about Kavanaugh. But uh, there are people on the left that are taking a close look at this. And what they're doing now is that there are people saying, hey, wait, this is the time to 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 strike while we can't. There's many within the Democrat Party that understand that Joe Biden, uh, that they put him and gave him the nomination, basically, because they didn't want Bernie to get it. So he's a really, really weak candidate. And I'm sure that you agree with that, Robert. So this could give them the possible out they need that they could push Uncle Joe out of the race and get somebody else to get involved. Uh, I'm just wondering if, if you kind, kind of feel that way as, as well. Are you kind of getting that vibe as you listen out there? As I know that you read a lot of stuff like I read a lot of stuff, and I'm kind of getting that underlying, hey, this could work out to our benefit. It's a great question. I don't know. I, I, meaning, I don't even know if I, I have that feeling or not, because it's hard to read the Democrats 
in general, and it's certainly harder now with everything else that's going on, to see what they're doing uh, as clearly. So I don't know if they're trying to force them out or this is just speculation by some in the Democratic Party or some in the Republican Party or both. But certainly there is a, I think, a, a larger than typical contingency amongst the Democrats that is far from in love with Joe Biden. Although I think something similar happened with Hillary. She was not a loved candidate within the Democratic Party. What's really interesting about Joe Biden as a candidate more broadly is who would have predicted that the oldest candidate running, the guy who skipped running in the last election. The guy and a white guy. Knows, Don't forget about right, that. That's right. Who doesn't fit any of the left's identity politics standards would get the nomination. And I so know. for sure, I think there is going to be a energy gap amongst some Democrats because he's just not particularly uh, exciting to those voters. But there will also be a fair amount of energy amongst the Democrats because they are energized by Trump. They don't like Trump a lot and will be energized by him. So the ba- how that balances out is unclear. Now, back to your question, which I've managed to uh, tangent off of for a moment. Are the Democrats trying or are some Democrats trying to replace Biden with another candidate? I don't know. Uh, who would they replace him with? One of the speculations, of course, is um, uh, Michelle Obama. They're talking about She's Cuomo. Uh, Cuomo is another one of them. So it would be really interesting to see us have some something go on at the convention or elsewhere in which Biden is pushed aside. That would be a remarkable event. And I could not predict what would happen thereafter. I really can't. Now, I predicted, as you know, that Elizabeth Warren would win the nomination. So I was already wrong in my predictions. And at this point, I couldn't even guess as to what would happen if Biden was pushed aside and another Democrat was put in his place. Let me read something to you. The ever helpful New York Times, and I think you would agree with that. They They ran an extensive puff piece about Biden here just recently. Now, here's. Here's what's really crazy about it, uh, Robert. I was telling you during the break, you know, they keep him locked up in the basement wherever he's That's at. Right. Crazy and, Joe. And, we got to yeah. keep him in the basement. So anyway, uh, the campaign, and this is a quote uh, from uh, the New York Times, the campaign declined to make Biden available for that interview. Oh, my gosh. I think that's really a whole lot of course right it does. there. Of course it does. Of course it does. They're Can afraid what the man's going to say. Totally afraid of, of it. Are you? Aren't you? <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm wanting to talk. Exactly. I liked what Liz exactly. Peake said. I was telling you during the break. Liz Peake says, Joe Biden opens his mouth and out comes a word salad. It's old Joe. That's I could not have said Joe. that better. I could not have come up with that one. That That is really good by Liz Peek. Word salad. Absolute, I have never heard absolute. it put that way. She, she also said, and this is an aside from a column she wrote last week, 
Democrats are not only concerned about Biden's penchant for spewing out meaningless word salads, it is also because his candidacy suffers, and you've already alluded to this, a huge enthusiasm gap and is also also way, way behind on fundraising. So anyway, this is going to be one of the most unique presidential races we have ever said or ever seen. All right, stick around. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to pick up a female black VP. Is that what's going to happen? Is Biden going to do it? Who knows? Will it even be Biden? Who knows? We'll come back with more on this morning's Dave Ellswick Show 101.1 FM, The Answer. show for a Monday. Still got lots of stuff to talk about. It's been an um, interesting weekend. Uh, everybody was uh, pontificating over the weekend. Was the uh, head man in North Korea dead or wasn't he? And in fact, I forget who, what, what, uh, who it was that put out the article. Let me look here quickly. It may have been uh, the wonderful people at Fox News uh, talking about, uh, yeah, it was Fox News, talking about because Kim Jong-un's health was uncertain, the focus was shifting now to his powerful sister, Kim Yo-jong. And uh, was very interesting, the article they wrote about her saying that uh, she's considered a dove when it comes to being compared to Un. And uh, that story went up, and I'm going to tell you what, Robert, it came down within a day. It was as like nobody wanted to hear this. So right, uh, right. was an article later uh, that came out early this morning of a satellite picture of Un's train, you know, that special train he rides around in, uh, out on the tracks, and they're saying it didn't move unless Un was on it. So now everybody's wondering if, you know, he's out there uh, still alive. Evidently, the word that's out is that he had a heart attack and they brought in some Chinese surgeons uh, to do some work on him. And uh, bottom line, uh, botched surgery uh, and it killed him. But. Oh, wow. Nobody is uh, saying anything anymore about anything. So, I mean, for, you know, for God's sakes, we all know how hard it is to get out any information from just China. Now, we're talking about North Korea now. That was worse. That was worse than East Germany was at their height. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's incredible. Nobody knows what's going on there. So that's why I haven't even picked up that story for us to talk about today. You know, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it I, could I, be just nothing there. Right. We just don't know what, yeah. what's going on. 
I mean, bottom line, it could be just Oon is social distancing for all we know. Right, right. I mean, to be honest with you. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, the governor is supposed to make an uh, announcement today about restaurants opening and things of that nature. Uh, I personally think he's going to allow some of that to begin. I think people, a majority of people, I'm not saying a super majority, but a majority of people are kind of wanting to get out. Uh, this doesn't force you to get out. This doesn't force businesses to open. And this is the way I, I like to see it in America. Everybody gets to make their decision about this. Uh, I think that's largely right. Uh, but I want to introduce for, for our discussion something that our mutual friend Ford, the uh, retired uh, economics professor from UA Little Rock, uh, as I like as, as I like to say, my Nobel laureate uh, guest. That's a joke, by the way. Yeah, I was anyway, say, Ford's a great guy. He is a Nobel laureate. No, but he's, he's really not. Smart. <laughs> he is. Yeah, that's right. why I always call him. You're the only guy I know that won the Nobel Peace Prize. He says, "Stop it, Dave." <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, the discussion slash debate that I had with him is, I think that people who know they're infected should be treated like people who have, say, tuberculosis in that they are under a mandatory home quarantine for a period of time. That is, it should be uh, criminal to go out if you know you're infected. Now, if you don't know you're infected, how do you punish somebody for that? You ask people to make reasonable determinations. If they have a fever, they shouldn't go out. If they're coughing a lot, they shouldn't go out. But, and of course, for all of this to work, we're going to need more testing available. But I think that people who are, are known infectors, or infected, I should say, uh, should be prohibited from going out. And Ford uh, was reticent to adopt that uh, policy. He's more skeptical of government intervention. Yep. Uh, and I understand, and he's a strong conservative, as I like to believe I am as well, but I draw that line somewhere differently. So what are your thoughts on that, Dave? Now, I don't like it for the simple reason that if you're going to, you know, uh, force people into quarantine because they've got, COVID-19, or you think they do, and now they're going to have to be tested to prove that they're not. Uh, I mean, what do you do with the person who just has the flu? It kills tens of thousands of people a year. We're going to do the same thing for that, or are we going to say the death of somebody who dies from the flu is not as tragic as somebody who dies from COVID-19? You, you understand that leads to a whole lot of questions, and I've got to tell you it's going to lead to a whole lot of lawsuits, I believe. Well, I agree with you in part, but disagree with you in part, which is we draw lines all the time. Right now, we draw a line. If you have TB, you are put on an order to stay home. But if you have the flu, you're not. And the reason is TB, for example, is more communicable and more deadly. And I think that's the case with COVID as well. It's more communicable and more deadly. So you've got to draw a line somewhere. And if you think about how do we draw the line, for example, on speed limits, it used to be 55, now it's 60 or 65 someplace, 75, whatever the number may be. Why is it not 74 or 78? And the answer is because you draw a line. So is 74, 78 ridiculous compared to 75? No, but 78 is against the law and 74 ain't. Why? Because we draw a line. So there is always an element of arbitrariness, and I'm not sure that I subscribe to the view that that 
modest level of arbitrariness should prevent us from making any distinctions. I think we can ultimately draw some distinctions, albeit maybe you draw it at a different point than I. And if you do, it's a perfectly plausible position to take, particularly given the fact, as I just uh, disclosed or dis, uh, you know, admitted to, that, the, that I recognize that ultimately where one draws a line has a significant element of arbitrariness. Now, the, the problem I have with your argument about, you know, speed limits is that that's not a right, that that's a privilege to get out and drive, and you agree to live by uh, those kinds of laws, whereas just going about your life and being able to get outside the doors of your house and do what you think that you need to get done is uh, those rights are guaranteed by the Constitution uh, for the most part, okay, for the most part. Uh you know, it's it's like I've got the, the real problem of them letting all these criminals out of, of jail. We've already had rapists re-raping people and killers kill, re-killing people. Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't get this stuff. We put people in jail for a reason, and I'm sorry that you happen to be stuck in the jail. Uh, you know, during a pandemic or whatever, but uh, you know, you you made the choice to go and 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 commit a crime. But you know, as long as you have the choice to get out, Robert, I think that's the big deal right here now. You have a choice, and 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 then TB, yes, that's highly contagious. We've known it's been highly contagious for years. However. This whole thing about COVID-19, the more they learn, the less they think that it's, uh, it's, it's as bad as a normal flu as far as killing people. I mean, they've got it now where it may be under 1%. So that's, uh, I think the jury is out on that. I personally think if businesses want to reopen, they should be able to reopen. They don't have to reopen. They can reopen. And it's like the ones that are complaining that perhaps the governor will reopen businesses up and they think that that's ridiculous. Well, fine. Don't reopen. You'll be my guest. Just like, uh, you know, people might not want to go out and eat. Guess what? They open up the restaurants. I want to go to my favorite Chinese restaurant again and have some chicken and, and rice that they make that's so good over at Nehru's and in Cabot. That's just uh, the, just the way I kind of feel about it. So, yeah, you and I have our lines drawn differently here. Indeed. Well, the, the thing that really bothered me is I read an article the other day, maybe the other week, whatever it may be, in which George Stephanopoulos went out to a um, pharmacy to buy drugs for his wife who had contracted already the disease, and someone was complaining. It was an article about COVID shaming. And the article in the New York Times sort of suggested that it was inappropriate, although they never came out and fully said it. And, of course, shaming is a perfectly normal and effective enforcement mechanism. So the notion that shaming is inappropriate, unless you're shaming somebody for something that shouldn't be shamed, is simply wrong. But when you have someone like Stephanopoulos, he at the time was not diagnosed. Three days later, he was diagnosed. Really? You're cooped up with your wife in the house and you weren't (laughs) diagnosed yet. And then three days later, you were diagnosed and the pharmacy delivers, but he decided he wanted to get out of the house. I get it. You want to get out of the house. Go out in the backyard. Do like Bill Maher. Go out in the backyard. But he decided that he needed to go out to the pharmacy. And that's why, by the way, Pharmacies can be dangerous places to go because people are going to pick up medicine either themselves or relatives who are carrying germs with them. 
to the pharmacy. I remember when I was taking care of my mother uh, when she, as you know, had cancer, and I would go to the pharmacy, I'd be gloved up. I generally wasn't masked up, and maybe I should have been, but I was gloved up, and I would go out of there, and I would put on the disinfectant, whatever, you know, the hand sanitizer. And yeah, everything. sure. Because, and I would take everything out of the bag that they put it in, and I would clean out the outside of the bottle. I'd wipe down the outside of the bottle because it's, uh, it's a dangerous environment, but people like George Stephanopoulos make it more dangerous. So uh, I'm not terribly sympathetic to those people that know that they have the disease. You raise a fair question, which is maybe we're not right on the numbers. Uh, I'm, I am skeptical that the, the disease is uh, of comparable risk to the flu, meaning I believe at this point, given the information we have and the limited information, that the disease is more problematic. That is either uh, some combination of more transmissible uh, and more uh, deadly than the flu. I could turn out to be wrong, but at this point, I'm skeptical that I'm wrong on that. And as a consequence, I think we need to have a higher standard of protection and a higher obligation, legal obligation, on those who know they're infected. Well, something that may come out of this, and let me make this final statement because I know we're behind on yeah. a break, and and yeah. that is I think that states are going to have to take stricter looks at nursing homes. Oh, that's exactly right. They're a nightmare. As you know, I, I took care of my mother until her death and would only do it that way. But it wasn't even a thought in my mind to put my mother in a nursing home. A lot of times people don't have an option. Uh, the fam- there's no family member who is able to take care of uh, the person, or there's no family member at all, uh, and that's a problem. And they wind up in nursing homes. Those are disease vectors, and it's tragic. It's really yeah. just not a safe place to be these days. Well, you got a lot of people in the same area, usually crammed fairly, fairly close together, who are the most susceptible uh, to disease and, and, of course, to death. All right, a break. Yep. Uh, Robert Steinbach is with me. Steinbach is, of course, a law professor over at UALR's Bowen School of Law, and his opinions are his and his alone. And, uh, for instance, today talking about what we should do about uh, COVID-19 does not even agree with me, but that's okay. Because <laughs> I still have him on my show because I like this guy a lot. We got a lot coming our way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. I promised everybody that we would talk about the uh, VP cl- uh, pick for uh, Biden. Biden has said that he would pick a woman. Now we're getting a lot of push by the black community that, yes, it should be a woman, but it should be a black woman because by putting a black woman on the ticket it would ignite enthusiasm for the vice president your thoughts on that robert well dave you see this is where um i'm wondering just a black woman why not a black woman who's disabled why not a black woman who's disabled and is transgender why not a black woman who's disabled transgender and um jewish also uh, what, what was it? And Jewish. And Jewish. There you go. Uh, uh, or any other non-majority religion. Right. So this is the problem with identity politics. In that conversation, nobody even spoke yet about merit. Oh, well, merit. Oh, right. You see, if you're not if you're not uh, what you're being discriminatory because you are, are assuming these people don't have merit. I'm not assuming anything, but I haven't heard any comment about that. 
So let's, why don't we start with those candidates that we believe are qualified and then talk about what other, whatever other factors you might want to consider. That's the whole problem. We talked about this several weeks ago on your show. One of these big schools, I forgot which one offhand, has as a process in hiring, and it's like an Ivy League school or a top yeah. 20 school, right? Says, well, you've got to demonstrate your commitment to diversity before, Dave, before we even take a look at the quality of your application. So that's a political screening test. That's a political litmus test. And that's what the left is all about and have been all about for years and years. Political litmus tests, which, of course, they decried correctly uh, when conservatives in the 50s had political litmus tests about you can't be a communist. That was wrong then, and it's wrong now. Okay, so anyway, you know, I just think it's interesting uh, that uh, they just want to make this decision, and they've only got two... Uh, black females that were even being considered. You had uh, uh, Stacy a- Adams or Abrams from down there in Georgia. Abrams. Is it Abrams? Okay, I down in, right, yeah. in Georgia, and then you've got uh, you know uh, Harris, uh, who mm-hmm. is the former DA out there in uh, California, now senator uh, from the state of California. It just you know. Who do they put up there? I mean, and and then uh, just uh, what was it uh, this weekend? I'm trying to think uh, who's the the black preacher there in New York with uh, Brawley. Um, that did oh, the thing uh, in Mayor, the, uh, excuse me, um, the minister. Is that who you're talking about? Al yeah, Sharpton? yeah. Sharpton, Sharpton. Uh, came out and made the statement that not only should it be a black female, but that uh, the uh, you know, black, he should call together a group of black leadership people to pick the person that should run for with Biden. How crazy well, course, is that? Every group wants to be the one that gets to make the call on these types of decisions. That's, and Sharpton, of course, has been a political animal all his life, and he tries to leverage his influence whenever he can and actually has been fairly successful in doing so. you got to recognize when someone can do it, even though you don't like it. And so I get it. Of course he wants that control. And then after picking the person, don't you know he'll exercise control over that person thereafter by saying, well, I'm the one that got you the job. You owe me a favor. Yep. Don't forget me. I'm the one who set you free. Yeah, absolutely. It's a ball of confusion. I was referring that to that song uh, earlier this weekend with a friend that we were kicking back and forth. And I, I was mentioning that the Temptations were my all-time favorite Motown group. And I started uh, started quoting Ball of Confusion because that song is as apropos today as it was in the 60s when it first came out. So uh, I may I may come back to the next segment playing that song. Just might do Terrific. that. Get Heidi to open up the segment with it. It's a great song. But anyway, uh, you know, I look at this and it just, it really, it hurts my heart. Not so much that the Democrats do it, but that politicians in general now do it. 
looking for ways to divide America up into little tiny pieces to try to consolidate their power. And it's happening more and more and more. And the pieces are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and that's really troubling. I think it's what Washington was afraid of about political parties. What, what say you? Exactly. It's just this factionalism that takes place uh, through identity politics. Oh, you need to be a member of this group and that group. And then this whole new notion of intersectionality, which is, oh, well, you see, Dave, if you're this group or that group, that's nothing. It's only if you're these two groups, because that combination is an alchemy from only from which can we get positive outcomes. And if you are not part of that alchemy, you're part of the problem, you see, Dave. And that's right. why the irony of the left is they are willing to throw away large swaths of American population because of their identity. So the left discriminates against you because you see, Dave, you as a white male, you're, you're bad news. You can't understand. You are incapable biologically of understanding the plight of those who fall into these intersectional groups, says the left, either implicitly or explicitly. That's really right. the tragedy. There was an article in the New York Times. Uh, well, let's let All me right. we can talk about it. Let's yep. talk about it when we come back, because it's time for Sean Hannity here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Today, as it was back when it came out, Robert. Oh yeah, it's a great song. Great song. Oh, it's just it, I I would got up and danced, but my foot would have bothered me. There just you go. Yeah, that's such a great, great. Hey, Heidi, had you ever heard that song? I have. Um, it's been a while, though. That's a great song. <laughs> it is a great song, and is it not? You just heard that small segment of. It. There's a lot more yet to to it. The things they talked about back in the 60s are the exact same things we're talking about in the 21st century now. Unbelievable. Never changes. That's why my job's so easy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what can it I all say? comes around, Dave. It does. It's, it's like they said, what goes around comes around all the time. All you got to do is you, if you got a position, just stick with it. It'll be in vogue again sometime. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, it works, isn't it? All right. That's before right. we get before we call it quits today, we've got about uh, I guess twenty minutes or so here to talk. Mm-hmm. What What do you think about this whole prison release thing? I mean, prisoners are suing the state to get out of out of prison. Uh, Elizabeth Sotolaro sent me a, a text, and she was so right when she sent this. She said, "Hey, as a citizen, can I sue the state for letting the prisoners out?" Look, I think it's actually a very difficult call because I think it was a Supreme Court justice who wrote about an unrelated issue. That is, you know, of course, historically, there's been real violence in prison against prisoners like prison rape. And the the Supreme Court justice wrote uh, prisoner. Part of their punishment is not is not that they should be raped in prison. That is once. A prisoner is under the control of the government. The, the government acts as the parent, so to speak, and must protect the prisoner as well as incarcerate the prisoner. And so it's a really difficult, and by analogy, let's talk about the COVID situation. That is one of the uh, punishments for whatever crime the person is in prison for is not a significant likelihood that they're going to contract the coronavirus. And so depending on how bad off the prison is, the government needs to make some sort of accommodation. Now, that may not need to be release, but they can't keep people in an environment in which they're going to get sick and die because the prison can't maintain adequate social distancing or whatever else and hygiene in general to prevent the transmission of a disease. So that's the challenge. Now, is releasing them the best option? Is there another option? I don't know the answers to those questions, but I I understand that governors across the country need to consider what to do in these circumstances. And it's a really challenging question. Well, and I'm not going to deny that. But to be honest, if somebody's it's not I didn't put somebody or or give our legal system authority to put somebody in prison because they didn't do anything. Uh, We agreed that uh, the laws of our state. Uh, are such that if you do certain things, uh, they're going to put you in prison. Now, perhaps you let out white-collar criminals, and by that, it's not white people. It's anybody who does a basic non-violent uh, type of a, uh, of, a, of a crime, but anybody who's in for rape or you know, child uh, sexual assault and, or murder, you don't get a get out of jail card. You know, you stay in jail and you got to take your chances. That's uh, kind of the way I look at it. That would that would get a lot of people out of jail probably uh, that and probably open some cells up where you could separate people a little bit more. Certainly, I agree with the notion that uh, if you've got to thin the herd in prison, thin it out with those are the nonviolent criminals. Absolutely. Right. Now, I don't know how that works in terms of distributing the criminals, but as an initial premise, I absolutely agree with that. Because, uh, I mean, there's, what was it, did I read that here in Arkansas they're thinking about releasing 1,200 and something prisoners? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if, if any, if none of, if, if all of them are, let's say, uh, nonviolent, then we've got too many prisoners in our jail system. There's got to be a different way of punishing them than locking them up behind bars all the time. Well, that's an interesting point. That's uh, one of the realizations 
that is being made by some people on both the left and the right is there need to be some alternatives to imprisonment for certain types of crimes. And uh, I'm, I'm cautious on that point, but where I will agree with it is when you lock up someone who's a drug addict, an That's addict foolish. rather than a, a drug seller. Now, do addicts sell drugs? Of course they do, right? But the point is, what's the driving motivation? And when the driving motivation is addiction rather than commerce, shall we say, I think that is a category in which we can investigate further things like drug courts, where we, what's called divert, diversion, use diversion to put those people in, in treatment. And then the treatment has an overwhelming, not 100%, not 100%, but an overwhelming success rate. Then we can break that cycle. And ultimately, that should be our goal. How to balance that? Very challenging. But the notion of drug courts, there's something there to it. And we need to consider that. And uh, conservatives uh, have, there are some conservatives who have adopted this, but uh, I think uh, it's been, there's been some reticence to it, and we need to consider it more significantly. All right. Yeah, I, I, I just got a, a text from uh, Elizabeth. It mm-hmm. says uh, over 1,400 are being, quote, reviewed by mm-hmm. the Arkansas Parole Board at this time. So I'll keep my, keep my eye on that story because that, yep. that, that really does – I mean, a lot of things are going to change because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic that we've had. And uh, that may be one that has to be looked at. Maybe, uh, you know, we're talking a lot of money that's got to be spent on ventilation systems and prisons and things of that nature. I don't know. And perhaps sentencing guidelines uh, that uh, that we're we're, uh, following about prisoners uh, here uh, in the state. All right, with that said, let's take a break. We've got to do that. And uh, if you got something more for us about the, uh, the prisoners, I'm, I'm willing to talk about it. If not, maybe I can find something positive <laughs> that we can talk about today to finish up the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach is with us. We're going to go out with a little of the temptations with you again here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We appreciate you joining us today. Traffic weather coming your way right here at 101.1 FM. Uh, the, the answer. The color of the skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. And I, boy, and I, a two for a two, both for me, and I'm such a brave. Rap on, brother, rap on. Well, the only person talking about love and brother is the preacher. And it seems nobody's interested in learning. But the teacher Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration Aggravation, humiliation, obligation to my All right, 11 minutes until 9 o'clock. I was just singing Ball of Confusion during the break, and I apologized for it and told Robert that's the reason 
I wasn't into temptations is because I can't sing. <laughs> There you go. That's the one reason. <laughs> that is that. That's the main. Hey, I could dance as good as they could. There you I'm go. Just, I'm just telling you. I saw them with Gladys Knight and the Pips at Medina Temple in Chicago back uh, in the late '60s. What I think probably '69, maybe '70, uh, and that was a tremendous. That was one of the best concerts I've been to. I mean, I like a lot of rock and roll, but. I like a lot of soul, too, and that was some good stuff. I grew up, out, as you know, outside of Chicago, so soul yeah, music yeah. with chess records and Motown and everything else was huge where I grew up at. Well, Sunday, uh, the last uh, topic to take up today and probably a topic that we need to spend more on, and uh, I, more on, not more on, uh, that, we yeah. need, <laughs> that we need to spend some more time on, is about uh, Pastor Tony Spell of Life Tabernacle Church in central Louisiana who broke his house arrest to hold church services. Now, understand that Spell was placed under house arrest on Saturday after he allegedly wouldn't properly answer District Judge Fred uh, Crifsani, who twice asked the pastor if he would comply with state orders that limit the number of people who can gather in one place at the same time. The house arrest follows weeks of spell defying state orders pertaining to large gatherings, as well as an incident on April 19th in which he allegedly backed up his church bus to within just a few feet of a protester. So anyway, uh, they told him he couldn't leave his house. They put a an ankle bracelet on him and... Uh, the, the judge said because he wouldn't give him a straight answer uh, to his question about if he was going to meet with his church again, he figured that he would break uh, the uh, stay-at-home order that they had on him, and uh, he did. And they arrested him again and took him down and booked him, and I think it was a $5,000 bond that they, they hit him with. And uh, this is setting up a pretty perfect uh, court case about, Freedom of religion, Robert, I think. Well, it's the, if I may borrow the term from one of the previous segments today, it's the intersection of freedom of religion with the ability of the possible ability of the state to control individuals' uh, interaction uh, in this context. And as you know, I described uh, previously uh, that I believe that people who know they're infected uh, should be prohibited. Now, it sounds like th- that's not the case here. And no, he's like- not infected. Exactly, exactly. And so that's obviously a relevant consideration. And uh, I think um, churches, uh, houses of worship uh, would do well to make sure that they don't become vectors of transmission by ignoring the, the science of it all. Uh, and, and so I think that's a real concern. And I don't know this guy's individual story, but what you read just in that little clip uh, is a little bit, to say the least, concerning. It sounds like there is an overreaction in this context by the government, uh, by the local government, it sounds like. Uh, and, and that's a problem. We always have to be wary that there is an overreaction by government officials because, as we discussed, they're the ones with the guns. And this is that inherent tension 
Uh, and it doesn't mean we don't come to a resolution. It doesn't mean government can't wind up doing anything. But it means we need to be ever vigilant when it comes to these issues because it is very easy for the government to overreact, and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, let me tell you what. The one that I'm watching for, and you be watching for too, uh, if you happen to it. see a story, you bring it up to me immediately. In China, in China right now, and in a couple other totalitarian places, for people to get out and go anywhere, uh, like if they're going to work or whatever, you, you know, you're going to get on the bus and, and, and right. all of that. To be able to do that, you have to have a government-sanctioned uh, app on your phone that it, it reads on a reader. And they right. can follow you wherever you're going. So yeah. The, yeah. They, they know what's going on. Now, I'm not saying I've heard anything about that here in this country. But we've had discussions over the, the COVID-19 time that leads me to believe that there are some people that would love to do something like that. And I think that is the most chilling thing that I can think of for our, our, uh, our country. That's the kind of stuff that can take away rights that you never get back. Yeah, and I agree with that. And moreover, uh, it's this, like, the, the use of the COVID story, the COVID events, as cover for those seeking to maintain government control over individual behavior to a far greater degree than we would ever want to permit. And so it becomes a a sham, and that's of significant concern. Yeah, and I I agree with that. And it's not to say that uh, I don't trust my government, but... I don't trust my government. <laughs> well, but, but that's the point, right, which is I don't trust government that is unchecked. That's why I'm such a big advocate of the Freedom of Information Act. People say, well, isn't that kind of boring? Like, what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do? It is the means by which the public gets to check the government. You literally get to say to the government, hey, you know those secret memos that you got floating around? Give me a copy. Give me yeah. a copy. So. Yes. No, I, I do. I don't fear government. I fear unchecked government. That's a good way of putting it. I, I agree. Yeah. That's probably a better way than my saying that I, I worry about my government. I, I worry about an unchecked government. Exactly. I agree. Uh, story just breaking. Uh, we had talked about this, but more coming out now. Uh, the AG, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, will reportedly be, quote, completely exonerated this week after being charged in former special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation for allegedly lying to federal agents. Uh, this was brought up by Maria Bartiromo uh, this morning. Breaking news sources tell me, she said, it was a total fraud, a setup. Uh, more tomorrow. Well, Uh, Tomorrow came today. A source with knowledge of the matter confirmed her tweet to the Daily Wire. Uh, CBS uh, investigative reporter Catherine uh, Hurridge called attention to a new filing in the Flynn case that was filed Friday. And A.G. Barr directed Missouri U.S. attorney to review FBI personal communications and notes in part to determine whether key evidence was withheld, documents under seal, but may 
change. And that's what we talked about, exculpatory evidence uh, earlier in the show today. So it looks like there's a, there was a whole lot of smoke when I started talking about that with you. Right now, not only is there smoke, but flames are showing. Yeah, well, this is, let me tell you, Dave, that it's one of the biggest problems in the criminal justice system, procedural problems, I should say, in which government are, right, prosecutors are charged with deciding what information to turn over, and they don't get it right. Uh, and then defense uh, attorneys and def- defendants are left holding the bag. It's a real mm-hmm. problem. And uh, if this happened in the Flynn case, uh, it needs to be addressed like it needs to be addressed in any case in which it happens. And it needs to be addressed, and some people need, uh, you know, uh, something has to happen as yeah. as punishment besides, yeah. you know, just mis- losing their job. Uh, they need to be made a pariah where they never work in the legal system again. Robert, we're out of time, brother. I could go some My more goodness. time with you without any problem. There's still stories out there, but it's time for us to wrap it up for a Monday. Well, it's always my pleasure. All right. We'll do it again maybe on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see if Chris okay. Corbin to join us as well. He's always fun to have on with us also. With that said, Absolutely. Robert Steinbach, thank you so much for being a God part bless. of the Dave Ellswick Show today. God bless to you as well. To the rest of you, I'm back at 6 a.m. in the morning. Elizabeth Otolaro will join me by phone, and uh, she'll be part of the show. The Bible guys will be around to answer all of your uh, biblical questions and just moral questions here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Heidi will be back. At least I think she is. I haven't scared her off yet. And she'll be back with us here uh, tomorrow at 6 a.m. Until then, have a great day. Enjoy the weather. I'll see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. right here on the Dave Ellswick Show.